want to welcome you to New Life. I'm Mark. Welcome those joining us online at our podcast or on our website at www.findnewlifeumc.org. Going to transition our young people to their children's experience. We're going to collect our offering for the work of our church. Checks are made out to New Life UMC. We also have online giving through our website if you would like to give another way. Interested in uh, alternate ways of giving, you can talk to me personally or Jeff and uh, the finance committee. We're always interested in how people would like to support the church. I want to remind you that next week we are having an Easter egg hunt for the community. We are having a drop-off day for the Paper Angel Closet. I encourage you to be here. Uh, the Easter egg hunt is at 10 o'clock. Uh, come help out with that, but come uh, help out with the collecting of goods from 10 to 1 um, for the trailer that we'll be putting goods in, and then we'll be bringing them in here. Um, but uh, make sure that you let your family and friends know, let your businesses know, uh, places you work, your co-workers, organizations that you are part of. Jeff has some things um, printed out if you want something on paper. Uh, we're doing some stuff through local media, uh, local, yeah, local media. Uh, so we just really want to get the word out that we're doing this, that there is this need, um, you know, that, that there are these opportunities. And we'll continue. This is just the first of hopefully many times that we'll do that. So if you are part of a group or a, uh, you know, a, a community organization or uh, a workplace that would be interested in working with us, partnering with us, uh, let me know and we can set something up and uh, take part of that. Next week is also our Easter service, our Easter celebration service at 5.30 p.m. So if you are um, going to have family or friends that aren't going to be able to go sun, uh, Sunday to Easter service, that's a nice time to invite them on a Saturday night. Uh, or if they're going to be away from their home church uh, with family, maybe they can come be with you here on Saturday night. With that, let's have a word of prayer as we transition to our forming time. Let us pray. Lord, we come approaching the end of this Lenten season, celebrating your entry into the holy city and looking, of course, towards the cross, the grave, and ultimately the resurrection. We ask that you allow us to hear this final miracle in a way that truly speaks to us. We ask that you allow us to hear you call our name out from the tomb, out from bondage to sin and death, so that we may be people of new life. Send your spirit upon us. Bind us together as your church so that we may truly your kingdom in this world. Amen. I hate being late. And that rhymes. So that's a good mnemonic device for me. Uh, Jennifer can attest to the fact that I truly, truly despise being late. It's one of my least favorite things in the world. And so when I was looking at seminaries... <laughs> 
uh, years ago, of course. Uh, I was driving up to Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois, and on my way from my home in Ottawa to Garrett, I had to drive on Interstate 80, Interstate uh, Interstate 55, the Stevenson Expressway, ultimately Lakeshore Drive, and Sheridan Road. That's the path. And if you know anything about that path, it is the worst path imaginable to drive any single day. And this particular day was rainy. It was a spring day. It was rainy. It was thunderstormy. And people were crazy. And so there was traffic accidents. There was backups. And I was running late. I'm glad you're all with me this morning or this evening. And I hate being late. So what I do is I'm stuck in traffic, desperately unable to do anything about my condition. I start creating these scenarios. I actually start getting angry because what I'm doing is, is I'm, I'm thinking that, well, I'm going to get there. People are going to be upset that I'm late, and so that makes me upset. Yes, I'm hypothetically assuming that people are going to be upset because I am late, and therefore I am being upset because of the hypothetical situation that I am creating in my head. It's part of the reason I hate being late. I may have some personal problems I need to work out, but <coughs> there's more than one of you with me, apparently. So I got to Garrett finally, and through the rain and the storms, I walk up to that castle in the middle of this beautiful northwestern campus, and I walk through the doors, and I find myself suddenly at peace. The anxiety and the anger dissipates. Everyone is wonderfully hospitable to me. Why wouldn't they? They were looking for my money, right? I was going looking for a school. Why would they be mean to me? But I, I found myself at peace, and I ultimately decided to go to Garrett, and I looked at several seminaries and had wonderful experiences. But I think because I was running late, and my expectations were to have a negative experience, and my expectations were to have them impress me, and they did, that the decision to go there was much, much easier. If I was on time, if I hadn't built that kind of expectation up on the road trip there, I may not have been impressed because I wouldn't have had any expectations. Now, the, the, the uh, context of today's miracle is a situation where Jesus is running late. Now, the appointment that he missed was slightly more important than mine. Let's hear these words from the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. And I encourage you this week, uh, the entire 11th chapter is, is wonderful. We're just going to read a section of it starting at verse 33. When Jesus saw her crying, Mary, and the Jews who had come with her, he was deeply troubled and disturbed. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of this said, he healed the eyes of a man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again. And when he came to the tomb, it was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, sister of the dead men, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead for four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. 
Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they too will believe you have sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His feet bound, his hands tied, and his face covered with cloth. Jesus said to them, untie him. Let him go. Jesus arrives four days late. Lazarus has been dead and buried, and now his family is in the deepest part of their seven-day mourning period. Seven days of light mourning, of course, and 30 days of, or deep mourning, 30 days of light mourning in Jewish custom. So when Jesus arrives, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, are a little passive-aggressive. They both say, if you had been here, Lord, my brother would not be dead. But Jesus had already done that. He had healed the boy from a great distance. He had given one man the ability to walk and another man the ability to see. Now was the time to reveal his ultimate power, the miracle of resurrection. Now it's easy to refute a healing. Sometimes people get better. Sometimes medicine can heal people. But nobody walks away from the diagnosis dead four days. What Jesus did here was truly his magnum opus. Jesus puts his entire reputation on the line. We know the end of the story, but if we didn't, Jesus puts his entire reputation on on the line. The other six miracles had made Jesus' name a household name. But this, this was the ultimate miracle. And truth be told, just like your last encounter, you're only as good as your last miracle. So if this miracle doesn't work out, if Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and he doesn't come out, now separate yourself from the fact that you know he comes out. No one else did. Everything's for nothing. He loses everything. He loses his entire ministry, his entire reputation, his entire purpose of pointing other people to God. Jesus was willing to put it all on the line. He was willing to stake his entire ministry on this last miracle. So we need to ask ourselves, what risks are we called to take? What risks are God calling us to take? When have you been called or where are you being called to put it all on the line? Now in Jesus' time, the dead were buried the day they died. It was Jewish tradition. The ritual that followed death was to wrap the dead in grave clothes and anoint them with different oils and perfumes. Grave clothes were cloth strips. So if you're imagining a mummy, you would be imagining correctly. And they would wrap the dead in just hundreds and hundreds of strips uh, up to a hundred pounds so that's all three of my children's weight combined a hundred pounds so a hundred pounds of my children in grave clothes wrapped around Lazarus the head alone they say could be wrapped in several inches of cloth strips the legs were tied bound together the hands at the side bound feet and arms weighed down by a hundred pounds of cloth. 
The first miracle was raising Lazarus from the dead. The second miracle was the fact that Lazarus actually got out of that tomb. Broke free. Now sin. Something we like to talk about. Sin wraps us in grave clothes. And the more we sin, the thicker the cloth is. The more we sin, the more bound we become so we can't move We can't walk, we can't act, we can't see, we can't hear. It weighs us down. Sin has a way of binding us. Keeping you from doing what you want to do. So when the bandages of sin start piling on, we need to be able to hear Jesus calling us. When you think of this story, when you read it again, Put your name in the statement. Jesus loudly proclaims, Lazarus, come out. Put your name. Mark, come out. Or whatever your name is. Come out. Be free. Respond by asking for forgiveness and letting Christ free you. Now what happened to Lazarus, you might be asking. Hey, no one's asking. Thank you. What happened to Lazarus? Thank you. Well, there are two answers that tradition teaches us. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha traveled to the island of Cyprus, where Lazarus became the first bishop of Kidion. And I know you keep track of the bishops of Kidion. The church of St. Lazarus in Lanarka is thought to be built over Lazarus' second tomb. Now, in another tradition, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha traveled to Marseille, in France where Lazarus survived the persecution of Christians by the Emperor Nero by hiding in a tomb. And that's irony. Very fun. In this tradition, he's ultimately beheaded by the Emperor Dominion. Either way, Lazarus lived two lives. We don't know how long or short that second life was, but we know Lazarus got a second chance. The reality is Jesus is offering all of us a second chance, another life, a new way. Jesus came so that you may live and live life abundantly. Like Lazarus, we can live a new life in Christ today. Do you need a second chance? Do you need a do-over? Regardless of where we are or what we've done, Jesus is ready to give us new life. Now Mary comes to Jesus, or or Jesus comes to, to Mary, but Mary says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And she puts a period at the end of that sentence, and she weeps, and and Jesus weeps with her, and sometimes we need a Savior who is willing to cry with us, but but the the word here in Greek is not just to, to shed a tear, but to literally burst out in sobbing. We have a Savior who is willing to be a shoulder to cry and who is willing to weep with us. But before Mary and Jesus speak, Mary or, or Martha and Jesus speak, and Martha says the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she puts a comma. But even now, But even now, I know whatever you ask, God will give you. Again, remove yourself from the ending. 
remove yourself from the story that you know that Lazarus comes out of that tomb. Mary or Martha didn't know that. Mary certainly didn't know that. Yet despite everything, she believes, Martha believes, that Jesus can save her brother. That is a pretty intense kind of faith. Jesus had never raised anyone from the dead. Jesus himself had not died and been resurrected at this point in the story. Martha has nothing to go on but her belief that Jesus can save her brother. Even now, those two words may be one of the greatest faith sentences in the entire Bible. When you pray, when you go to God, Do you put a period at the end of your request? Or do you put an even now? When all hope seems lost, do you say, Lord, thank you for all you've done for me. I know you didn't do this, and that's okay. Or do you say, Lord, I know you haven't healed me, but even now, I have faith that you could. That's resurrection faith. That's the kind of faith Jesus is calling us to have. Not just believing that God could have done something, but believing against all else, against all odds, that God can do something for each of us in our situations. Now I want to end with a little statement. Jesus reveals his identity to Martha. It's a beautiful passage. I encourage you to to read it in John chapter 11. A beautiful exchange between Martha and Jesus. And Jesus asks, or Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. But he also challenges her and he says, do you believe this? Again, Martha responds beautifully with great faith. And she says, yes, Lord. She says some other things, but the most important thing she says is, yes, Lord. And he affirms, or she affirms her belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But it's all predicated on that statement, yes, Lord. How's that working out, my dear? Hi. Now in Romans 10, chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God saved him from the dead, you will be saved. That is as simple as one little yes. There are a lot of other things we can debate, things we can argue about, things we can fight about, but these seven miracles lead us to this point. Jesus standing before us, Asking us, not mama. No, that's not what Jesus is asking us. Thank you for explaining the end of the sermon. Anything else? Anything else you want to say to the people at home? Okay. Jesus asking us, do you believe? Amen. Oh, baby, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we didn't catch that on camera. Usually, catch yourself a little bit better than that. All right. Let's have a word of prayer as we transition now to our forming time. Lord, we thank you for 
these marvelous gifts, these seven signs, these miracles which you have taught us, pointed us to our Father and showed us the amazing, amazing gifts of your grace and love. Encourage us, us to believe, to testify, to say yes when you are face to face with us and you ask the question, do you believe? We ask that you be with all of those who are not here tonight, all of those who we've been praying for, all of those concerns that are on our hearts, that are on the hearts of others. We pray for all of those healing, all of those who are suffering, those who are traveling this holy week and Easter weekend. Pray for the leaders of our world. We pray for those tragedies, the ones we know about, like the airliner in France or the people who die every day whose stories we don't read. Help us, truly, be people who are not bound by sin, but people who are new in Jesus Christ so that we together, the church, may free everyone from the grave. We ask that as you have robbed our graves, we lead you to others so that all people can know new life. All people can know your peace, joy, hope, and love. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.